Glad you made it this morning. We started a series last week. It's entitled 40 Days of Prayer. And we uh, spent last week and the next five weeks uh, focused together on prayer and communication with God because every one of us has been made by God for communication with Him. Every one of us has been made by God for prayer. Today we're uh, going to begin three weeks of talking about how to pray like Jesus. If you happen to have picked up one of the devotional guides along the way uh, last week, or maybe you were going to get one last week and you did, we didn't have, we ran out of them. Uh, we've got them back in the back. Afterwards, you can grab them. But if you have yours this morning on page 37, weekend sermon notes, blank page for you. So just thought I would plug that and uh, would encourage you to uh, jump in there with us because it's 40 days of devotions here, just all related to prayer and uh, opportunity for you to uh, grow in that. Today we're going to begin, though, the three weeks of talking about how to pray like Jesus because no one understands prayer better than Jesus. I mean, he, he knows what he's doing when it comes to prayer. Before every significant event in Jesus' life, if you look in Scripture, Jesus could be found on his knees praying. Before he began his ministry, Jesus fasted and prayed for 40 days in the wilderness. Thus the idea, 40 days of prayer. Uh, before Jesus chose his disciples, Jesus prayed all night on a hillside. Before Jesus was betrayed and crucified, he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane for a solid hour. Tried to get his disciples to pray with him. Remember what they did? They slept. But he, he spent that time praying. Before Jesus even got to the garden, he and his disciples repeatedly throughout the Last Supper prayed. One of those repairs is recorded in John chapter 17. If you haven't read it lately, would encourage you to pray it. Read through it, pray through it, kind of think through it. Jesus' life was marked by continual prayer. In fact, it was such an important, influential part of his life that the Bible says in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, that once when Jesus had been out praying, one of his disciples came to him as he finished and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So that's what Jesus did, we find in Scripture. He did that very thing. And the New Testament book of Matthew tells us what Jesus went on to teach them about prayer. If you have your Bible, we're going to look at this passage in Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 7, but just invite you to turn there. We're going to spend today looking at this passage. We will spend next week looking at this passage and the following week looking at this passage and you say, that's a lot for just a few verses, but there's a lot in this prayer. And um, Jesus went to the trouble to teach his disciples then to pray. Guess what? He wants us, his disciples now, to know how to pray like he did as well. So Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start at verse 7 and then uh, work our way through this this morning. Just follow along in your Bible there. It says this, when you pray, Jesus says... Don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Just pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's the New Living Translation reading from here. Why don't you just 
repeat that prayer out loud with me, okay? Just follow along in this translation. I know some of us have got the old King James in our head, but just want to challenge you. Let's, let's focus on this translation for today's sake, okay? Read it out loud with me. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You know, Jesus acknowledges at the very beginning of this passage what most of us already know but don't think often about. He points out that people of other religions view prayer differently than he does. Now, we know this. We just don't ponder it very much. They, these people from other religions, they tend to view prayer as a means of informing and persuading their God to help them with their needs. They view prayer and, and, and repetition of those prayers as a key component to their prayer life. Just like they've got to say it over and over and over again because as they repeat it, it becomes something that rises before the attention and maybe annoys their God enough that, that he finally intervenes in some way. Let me give you some examples of how uh, different groups view prayer, in particular this whole idea of repetition, okay? Uh, one example is uh, among many Native Americans, dancing is a form of prayer. Maybe, maybe you had not thought about this a whole lot. You're familiar with rain dance? The Native, among the Amer Native Americans, that wasn't just like, I mean, this was, it was essentially a prayer, was really what it was. And the idea of the, the rhythms that were associated with it, the, the dancing, it was repetitious. And as they would dance and circle and uh, do their thing, it, it would get the attention of the great spirit to send rain. This was, this was the idea behind that. Uh, we could talk about Buddhists who use prayer wheels and prayer flags, different methodologies of prayer, but similar concept in that if you look at the, the top one, the, the, the prayer wheel, the, the temples, Buddhist temples, most of the time are surrounded with these kinds of things. And people come along and they swing these wheels or they carry around personal ones as this person does, and they can swing it in their, in their hand. And what it is is every rotation of the wheel represents a repetition of the request of the gods. And if you look at uh, the, below the prayer flags, I mean, again, this is, this is in Buddhism. I mean, each of these flags represents a request. And it's put out in the wind so that with every, every breeze and flap of the, the flag is, is a repetition of the request of the gods. Do you see the idea here? It's, it's repetition is what this is representative of. Uh, Muslims, it's the expectation of Allah in uh, the Muslim faith that five times a day, followers of Muhammad and Allah bow to the east toward Mecca, toward the Kaaba and the uh, black stone, which they believe fell from heaven and is embedded in the side of the black uh, granite Kaaba there. They, they pray in the direction of this, this place and they pray the exact same prayer Every time, five times a day, every day, until 
Muhammad returns or Isa returns, who they believe is Jesus, they believe Isa's coming back, has a whole different agenda than what the Bible teaches that, that uh, Jesus will do, but uh, they believe that he will come back and make all of us Muslim. That's what they believe that Jesus will do. Uh, go read more about that. But the repetition five times a day, praying like this, this, this particular prayer and formula, and they do it certain postures, they have to do it in Arabic because you can do it in English, but it's not the same. It's, Arabic is the holy language. It would be as if, as if it was God's expectation that every one of us learn Hebrew. You know, the, the, and, and your prayers don't count if you don't pray them in Hebrew quite the same. So uh, this is the idea, but there's this repetition five times a day and this appeal to Allah to intervene on their behalf. Well, this is how a lot of different religions do it, and there's a lot of other ways among the various religions. But Jesus says this in Matthew 6, verse 7 and 8, about all of this. He says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. He's, he's, he's not stating it in, in the, like as a, a judgment or a condemnation of this kind of thing. What he, he's saying, you don't have to do that. That's what he's saying. Don't be like them. You don't have to do that. And then he adds, explains why. For your father, your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. He's drawing a distinction between other religions in prayer and religion that is begun by him in this respect. We have a father who knows our needs before we even ask. And then Jesus begins his prayer tutorial, if you will, in verse 9, and today I think as we work our way through this verse and these others, you'll see that every one of us can learn to pray like Jesus. I mean, you don't have to be able to dance. Uh, you don't have to get up five times a day and do a, a rote thing in a language you don't know. Uh, you, don't you don't have to like tie flags everywhere. You don't have to have prayer wheels that you carry with you everywhere, you know, all the time, praying for someone who's ill in your life or something else. Because prayer is essentially learning to express to God the seven primary longings and aspirations, the, the primary hopes of every follower of God. Did you hear what I said? Prayer is essentially learning to express to God, to articulate to Him from our heart back to Him, the seven primary longings and aspirations and hopes of every real follower of God. We're going to look at two of those hopes and aspirations and, and longings today. Uh, we'll look at the other five in the next two weeks. But my hope is as we work our way through this that you'll, you'll internalize this and at any time, at any place, as one of these hopes and longings and aspirations is sparked in your life, you'll develop and cultivate the habit of just articulating God, where prayer becomes an ongoing conversation between you and Him. And because you've got a, a private devotional life like we talked about last week, you, you'll learn how to listen and hear from Him, but you'll be constantly in a state of just open-heartedness toward Him, and there'll be this flow of communication constantly going. This is, this is what you were made for. This is who God made you to be how he intended us to live life, and uh, want to help you. Jesus wants to help us through uh, his teaching here 
uh, get there. The first longing that Jesus addresses in his prayer tutorial is this. He says it this way, may your name, speaking to the Heavenly Father, he said, may your name be kept holy. I think it's fascinating that's where he started. Of course, he addressed him as our father, but he begins by, by saying the first real request, the, the, the longing is, may your name be kept holy. Look at verse, uh, verse 9 of Matthew 6, where he says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Why do you think, just reflect with me, why do you think Jesus would teach his followers to begin their prayers with that kind of thinking, that kind of request? I think this is part of it, because unlike other religions, our God is a father. Our God is, is a loving, living father who knows our needs, who cares, who we don't have to inform of what the need is. He already knows. We don't have to persuade him to want to intervene. He's already intervened as he did through Jesus. He's already caring. He's already acting on our behalf. He wants us to recognize that because of who he is, he is worthy of respect and praise and honor. And it's just right, it's appropriate to begin intercession, to begin prayer, which is praying, seeking the fact that his name would be held in high regard, that it would be revered, that it would be honored, it would be kept holy. Our God is not an aloof, preoccupied, almighty being. He is not some mean, irrational, reactionary authority figure. He's a provider. He's a protector. He's a comforter. He's an advisor. He's our chief example of what it means to be human. He lived out, Jesus did, life as God dreamed of every one of us living. He's our helper. He corrects us, yes, but he does it with love and with our best interests in mind. We could go on looking at Scripture and its descriptions of the kinds of traits that are characteristic of our Heavenly Father who's loving. And it's even interesting when you look at verse 9, this, the Bible tells us, Jesus does in his teaching, where to look for him. Where is he? If you look at verse 9, he's in heaven, it says, right? It's interesting, the original language doesn't say heaven singular like we see here in the text. It actually says the, in the heavens, plural, heavens. What's the distinction between this translation which says heaven and many of them that say heaven and the original language which says heavens? Here, here's really the distinction. We think of heaven as being this remote place somewhere out there, who knows where, where God is. And to us, it seems very distant, very remote. But because of the language in the heavens, I mean, God wants us to understand that he's not remote, distant, far removed from our lives. But in fact, the heavens in the original language, the Greek language is descriptive of the air we breathe, the, the space around us that you don't see. But if the wind blew, you would know the heavens are around us, right? The heavens fill the skies, right? It's the skies. I mean, the point of, of Jesus, the point of Scripture is that we have a heavenly Father, which is not remote, distant, as in faraway heaven, 
but he is in the heavens that surround us. He is as close as the air that you breathe. This is important for us to understand. That this is what Jesus is teaching us. He's not distant and remote. He is close, present, aware. God speaks through the prophet Jeremiah and says this, Am I a God who's only in one place? Asked the Lord, thinking of the temple, is what he's appealing to here. Do they think I cannot see what they are doing? And then he goes on and says, Can anyone hide from me in a secret place? Am I not everywhere in all the heavens and earth? Says the Lord. The point he makes in this passage, and the point he's making a whole lot of others like it, is that he's close. He's, he's ever-present. He's everywhere. He, he's as close as the air that you breathe. So to our ever-present, fully attentive, always aware, heavenly Father, Jesus prays, may your name be kept holy. May your name be revered and honored. The old King James says, hallowed be thy name. May it be set apart as unique and special and sacred. You think about some of the, some of the people of our history and the way that their names are are generally held in high regard. I think of Martin Luther King. You think of Rosa Parks. And, and there's a sort of reverence for their names and, and what they've stood for over the years. You think of Mother Teresa in the high regard, the, the respect that even those who could never do that, we just look at and just say, yeah, that's amazing what she did with her life. You look at Billy Graham as an evangelist and you think, Look at the integrity, the character of the man. And it's, it's impressive and, and it, it, it sort of has a, when you think of his name, you think in respect of it. And Jesus is teaching us to pray, Father, may your name be kept holy and respect-filled like that, only more so. You realize that the name of Jesus, the name of our God, you realize that when the very name is mentioned in the heavens, you know what happens? Knees bow. All of heaven bows at the name of Jesus. The Bible teaches that the name of our God, mighty angels, angels big enough to cause the sun to spin and flame. Angels large enough to keep the, the stars in orbit. Angels big enough to defeat other mighty angels and warfare and so forth. I mean, angels of a size and scale that you and I can't fully grasp. Mighty angels like this that the scriptures speak of tremble in fear. And not fear in, in the sense how we often think, but tremble with Tremendous fear. It's, it's fear embedded in respect for the power, the might, the greatness, the majesty of our God. But that's not how it is here on earth, is it, in the flesh? Among people, the names of Jesus, the names of our God are often... Uh, exclamatory statements. I'll poke a little bit. Some, some of you text his name in an exclamatory way. 
You ever texted, OMG? Actually, I have to explain what some of these texts mean to my mother on occasion. It's LOL, not LOLS. You know, what it is, it's not lots of laughs. It's laugh out loud is what LOL is. OMG is not, oh my goodness. It's, oh my God, is what it is. It's maybe a trivializing of his name. And worse than that, in our language, uh, Jesus and God's names are profane curse words. Think about it. When something doesn't go right, there are those in our culture who will exclaim, Jesus' name, God's name. Does it not compute in your mind that that would not be appropriate? It just wouldn't if you're a follower of Jesus. Just because it's common, just because it's all around you, doesn't, doesn't it make sense that if Jesus begins teaching us to pray, Oh, Father, may your name be kept holy. Doesn't it just make sense that we should change our vocabulary if that's the case? can find another word to say, practice it at times when you haven't hit your thumb with a hammer. If you practice it a little bit, it'll become habit. You know, it, most folks, if you were to ask them in our culture why they use Jesus' name or our Father's name as a profane word or even an exclamatory statement, most folks would say, well, yeah, it's a habit, it's a bad habit, I don't really mean anything by it. But that is, in fact, the point. That's part of the point. Is that God's name is not hallowed. It's not holy when we use His name meaninglessly or profanely in both respects. It's not holding it in high regard. It's, it sort of demeans it. So Jesus begins His prayer in teaching us to pray Father, may your name be kept holy. And there's this part of me that feels like, it's like Jesus even acknowledges, even recognizes that in a fallen world, his name's not going to be kept holy everywhere. And so, it's, so it just, it's going to be drugged through the mud. But Father, at least among your people, I think is the spirit, at least among your people, let's, let's have your name be made holy kept holy, at least among us. Keep his name holy. One final special note on this before uh, we move on. And uh, this didn't occur to me till uh, just really late in this. And so I haven't had the, the amount of time to give thought to it. But it hit me that always, this is a, a general principle of interpretation of Scripture. What's mentioned first in Scripture is always of preeminent importance. If you, if you look at the first of the Ten Commandments, in, in, it, is, it is the preeminent commandment because it's have no other God before you except me, is what God starts with. You know, the, the first verse in Genesis, you know, in the beginning God created, and it goes on. It, it's like in the first seven words of Scripture, 
encapsulates, uh, if, if we had time to break it down, so much of biblical, uh, what the Bible contains. Um, it's just a general principle of interpretation and understanding of Scripture that what's mentioned first is of preeminent importance. I want you to think about that as you listen to how Jesus begins here. He, he's, he acknowledges the Father who he's praying to, but then he, he says, May your name be kept holy, which is to say that perhaps of all the other things that are listed in the prayer, this 85% of the ball game of prayer. It's, it's about keeping God's name holy in my life. Approaching him that way, living my life in that way, because my life, you know, it's like his name is, so to speak, tattooed on me, and I'm a living representation of him in life. And so it's, it's all about me. Father, may your name be kept holy in our world and in my life. In our present world where God's name is regularly profaned, how often would it be possible for us to see something that dishonors his name, that profanes his name, that demeans his name in some way, and would it not make sense that the reflexive prayer of our hearts in that instance is not to judge that person, but to pray, Oh, Father, in this situation, please help your name be made holy and kept holy. I mean, how would your prayer life be different if, if this one prayer just routinely flowed out of your spirit as you watched the news, as you watched television programming, went to a movie theater, as you sat at a ball game, or as you're in your office at work, and as things uh, sometimes go right or they go wrong, and maybe you're blamed or maybe somebody else is at fault, whatever. It's just like as, you, as life unfolds, if the, if the top of mind reflexive prayer was, oh God, Help your name be kept in high regard in this instance. It's, it's being demeaned here. Please, Father. You, you don't have to go to the person or the situation, the institution. Just pray. Make that a prayer. Oh, Father, may your name be kept holy. So much more could be said about this, but the, I want to move on. The second longing that Jesus' tutorial prayer addresses is this. May your kingdom, may your will Come to pass soon. May your kingdom and your will come to pass soon. Look at verse 10 with me there in uh, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus just articulates it this way. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a request for God's authority, for God's values and ways and will to penetrate and permeate every sector of society and every person on earth completely, thoroughly, and it would happen soon. It's an appeal to God for that kind of intervention in our world. And with that in mind, you see anything going on in our world that God might not approve of? That's a big duh question, right? Jesus' instruction to us would be to pray 
about that. You see anything not happening in our world that you know Jesus would want to have happening? Jesus' point is pray about that. There are things happening that shouldn't be and things that should be that aren't. And it's in so many respects in a general way that summarizes what it means for God's will to be done on earth and for his kingdom to come and be fully realized among us. And, and he's just saying, make those matters of petition, matters of request and prayer. And while you're doing that, remember that our God is a loving and living Father who understands our world, who understands our needs, who cares about our world, who cares about people. And so we need to pray with confidence that He hears and cares. We'll continue working our way through the Lord's Prayer next week. But what I want to do at this point, and uh, we'll do periodically uh, throughout the series because I can't teach all of this honestly. I never have been able to teach my way through this and not um, say, let's pray a few moments. I, I just think it would be wrong, at least for me, to do that. So, uh, so I'm going to ask you if you would, uh, let's bow our heads together. We're going to spend a few moments praying. I, I'll kind of guide us in a silent prayer here, um, specifically related to the things that we've talked about this morning. Is what we'll do. I'll start us then I'll invite you to quietly express your prayers, your thoughts to God. In fact, let's stand as we pray, okay? Let's, if you would, just stand with me. Father God who dwells in the heavens, we thank you that you are ever present, that you never leave us, you never forsake us, you're fully aware of everything going on around us. You hear our requests as we make them known. You know our needs before we even bring them to you. You long for fellowship with us. You long for us to partner with you in requesting uh, the dispersion of your power, your working, your spirit uh, throughout our world. You long for us to petition you for the, your intervention in government, in business, in families, in personal lives. You, you long for that and you, you're incredibly disciplined. You wait for us to do that, even to your own detriment sometimes. But we thank you that you care about us and that when we, when we humble ourselves to come to you and think to ask, uh, you are quick to intervene, quick to hear, quick to respond. And right now, we just want to take a few moments. We want to honor you for who you are. I just want to invite everybody, just express to our Heavenly Father your admiration for who he, who he is, for his greatness. Maybe you want to just remind him of some of his character traits, his attributes. Maybe there are certain events in history that you just think that was amazing how he involved himself in that. You want to remind him of highlights his greatness in some way, but just take a few moments privately to express your admiration for who he is and his greatness. Do you hear our prayers, Lord?
we just want you to know, Father, that we, we love you, we respect you. We're sorry for the many times that we kind of forget that you're God and we're not. And um, We want your name to be held in high regard. We want you to be respected among your people, certainly, and throughout the earth as well. You are worthy of that kind of devotion and celebration and respect. Forgive us for not trembling as we ought. Lord, we just want to pray and ask for your will to be done on earth as it is in the heavens. We want your kingdom to come more fully, to be fully realized in our world, in every institution of our world, in every people grouping on the planet, in every person who walks the face of the earth. We long for you to be Lord and Savior and King. So let's all just take a few moments, just pray for the advancement of God's kingdom in various areas of our world. Maybe certain areas are particularly important to you that he'll bring to your mind. Just talk about it. Just express to him your longing for him to be made Lord in that area. Maybe it's a person. Just pray about that. Father, we want your will to be done, not just in the world around us, but in us as well. We want your kingdom to be fully realized in us. And this morning, we appeal to you for that to increasingly take place in us today and in the days ahead. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died, that we could know you, that we could know the Father. We thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf. We just acknowledge our need for you. We invite you to be Lord of our lives, my life, Lord. I want your forgiveness, but I want you. We want you, Father, in us. We were made for that. To have the breath, the wind of your Holy Spirit coursing through our veins through our spirit, body, soul, and spirit, we are yours. We just offer ourselves back to you this morning. May your will be done on earth in me as it is in the heavens. May your will be done on earth in Southwoods as it is in the heavens. All of us as a group, I know that's your longing. It's our longing. Would you fill us with your spirit that we might function as one and with the empowerment that Jesus lived with? We just dedicate ourselves, rededicate ourselves to you. Now, Lord, as we continue to uh, focus on prayer uh, in the coming week and the weeks, 
Would you guide us? Lord Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? You taught your disciples of old, and we know your word tells us so much, but we know that there's much that can only be understood and fully developed by you, the work of your spirit in us. Help us. And we'll rejoice to be communicating with you and empowered by you, blessed and forgiven by you. We'll be blessed to know you. Now, would you go with us, Father, today as we wrap up and as we reflect on these things? Help us to practice them. Help us to watch news differently. Help us to watch commercials differently. Help us to text differently. Help us to talk differently. Help us to pray like you prayed, Lord Jesus. It's our request. We lift it together in the name of Jesus. Amen.